there at the top of it. And the first page has a bunch of verses with a bunch of blanks. And that's how you know you have the right thing. And if you're a member of our church already, then uh, when you came in, hopefully you were able to get uh, a little ballot for this evening's uh, business meeting for missionary support. If you didn't have, didn't get one of those yet, and you're a member and you'd like to, you can slide to the back to the Welcome Center and they'll get you one and you can uh, still be a part of that before we begin. You'll have a chance to do that. In fact, if you would, take a look at that. <clears throat> I'll t- tell you a couple things about it and then we'll make a motion in a moment to open our business meeting. It's a very brief business meeting tonight, just looking to add a few missionaries to our current uh, support list. And you know that we kind of redid our our bylaws and a number of things over the last few years. And so uh, how we do that, we haven't always done a written ballot for that. But for the most part, within our bylaws, anything um, with a, a serious long-term financial commitment or regarding a, a pastoral uh, issue or bring on pastor, those kinds of things that we vote for in a written ballot. And so you have one of those um, this evening, and you have the three missionaries uh, that are listed there. And just if you're new here, just as a reminder, uh, the way that we do our mission support is what we would call faith promise missions, meaning we uh, designate to missions giving aside from or apart from even our normal tithe and giving uh, to our church. And we believe that it's a, a good biblical precedent set for that. And uh, it allows us to extend and support some churches, build it into their budget, or just a certain percentage of uh, however much comes in in the year. And uh, we just found for us, there's no command in Scripture to do it a specific way, but we feel like a good pattern is uh, love giving or faith promise giving um, above and beyond even what we may give to the normal function and outreach of our church. And so we keep a, a certain amount of missionaries and support levels, and I'll explain some of those in just a moment, but uh, we take on new missionaries as others come off, or there's ministries that we don't support, or if there's years that our support is higher, we can uh, take on new ones. Here in a few uh, couple months, we'll be taking up Faith Promise cards, which is just simply a commitment by our church members that says, by God's grace, and my goal is to give this amount each week or monthly or yearly uh, to missions giving. And that, that's not a, a contract that you're signing. It just simply helps us plan. Okay, we can take on more missionaries or we're okay at the, the rate that we're at. And uh, so that is how we carry out our missions giving is through Faith Promise uh, giving. And we'd like to address that tonight and take on three new ministries or uh, church works, church planting works. Uh, in the coming years. So, if I could have a quick motion by any uh, church member to open our uh, business meeting tonight. Very simply, all we're doing is taking a vote on this, and then we'll be closing. So, if I have uh, Rob Ferguson, be a motion to open, and then a second, Noah. All right. And then... Um, I will show you the motion as it is presented tonight. It just says, as members of Lamarck Baptist Church, we vote to take on the following gospel ministries for support at our regularly, month, regularly established support rate for missionaries and church planters. And you see there it's noted that that is $115 per ministry monthly. So for each couple that's listed here, we support at $115 a month. And just to remind you that we, we changed that last year too. We sort of have... Tiers of ministry support, someone that is 
directly sent out of our church as a missionary, a church planter, someone that came from uh, within our congregation. We support at a higher rate, uh, $300 a month. And then uh, if it is a ministry that is directly tied to our church, meaning it serves our church in some way, uh, then we support at $200 a month. And that would be something like uh, VIB or ODAX or um, a couple of the other ministries that directly relate to us and serve us directly in some way. It's almost as if we're supporting them as well as uh, compensating them for serving our ministry directly. And uh, some of them, they represent us downtown in, in government ways. There's other uh, facets in, in different ways. Uh, they do that, and that's ministries that are supported by really no other way. They don't have any other income other than church support, and that's ones that are uh, directly served toward us. Then we have missionaries that are uh, pl- church planting overseas uh, or church planters in the United States, and those we support at $115 uh, monthly. And then there are a few ministries that we support that would be what we would call um, parachurch ministries, meaning they are not church planting and uh, they are not active with our church directly in that sense, but that they serve the church, serve the Lord's church in some way, but they have another means of financial uh, financial income. That would be things like camps, uh, CLA, other things that we support at that rate, and that's at $100 a month. And so this is just the regular uh, rate that we have agreed on to support our missionaries, the last I looked, it was, uh, I do not remember the exact number, 78, uh, I believe, or right around 80 uh, missionaries that we're supporting at the moment, and then plus other uh, ministries as well. And so you see there the three that are listed. All of these have already presented in our church, Nick and Jill Toothman, missionaries to Poland, and um, they are ramping up, hoping to head there by the end of the year. And uh, they presented back in June. Scott and Julie Job, church planners in uh, Palmyra, just up the road a little ways, but in a county with no uh, independent Baptist church at the moment. So they presented back in November, that week after Thanksgiving. And then Chris and Natalie McPike, if you're here this morning, they presented their work just getting started on deputation, but headed uh, to Scotland. And we would like to take on each of these support uh, for support. You note there at the bottom, we have had some... Uh, missionaries and ministries that have come off of support in the last couple of years, and we vote, or the last 24 months, we voted on some of those last year uh, that had retired or reduced support or that had moved away from uh, ministry and things like that, some that we had no longer supported. And so these are direct replacements for that. We have several that that's the case in the last uh, couple of years. And so these are, are simply just direct replacements of that. Uh, do we have any comment or question on this? If not, we'll take a motion to collect these. All right. Do I have a motion to receive the vote as presented in the motion? All right, Paul. The first and a second to receive these. Chris. All right. All right, very good. I'm going to have Brother Young come back and lead us in a song. If I have a couple of our officers, in fact, how about... Um, Paul and Chris, since you guys were the ones that made the motion, I'll see if you guys can help collect the ballots as you write that on there. You can just mark yes or no. 
uh, to vote for the motion as presented. Uh, you can leave it open or you can fold it. You don't have to put your name on it. You checked in when you came in. And uh, these men will help collect those and they'll count them uh, back in the back. And Brother Young will lead us in a song. You can stay seated while he does. And we'll collect those and we'll come back and look at God's Word together. Rock of Ages. Rock of ages, cleft for me, let me hide myself in thee, let the water and the blood from thy wounded side which flowed be of sin the double cure, save from wrath and make me pure. Not the labor of my hands can fulfill thy law's commands. Could my zeal no respite know, could my tears forever flow, all for sin could not atone. Thou must save and thou alone. While I draw this fleeting breath, when my eyes shall close in death, when I soar to worlds unknown, see thee on thy judgment throne, rock of ages cleft for me, let me hide myself in thee. Well, I hope that more than just giving and uh, motioning or or voting to support missionaries, I hope that we will first and foremost pray for them and that we'll be excited in the ministry that the Lord has allowed us to be a part of with them. It's a privilege to be able to do that. And I believe that the Bible very specifically has set a pattern for us to do that by prayer, but also by the finances and what God gives and allows and out of our excess, that God doesn't set a, a limit to our giving, nor that does He make a requirement to our missions giving, but rather out of our excess, He says, out of what He has blessed us with, we then send and say, uh, we do not live by earth's economy, but rather by heaven's kingdom's economy, and uh, that we are committed to spread the gospel around the world. I hope that you'll be a part of it. I was looking at some missionary letters just this afternoon. I actually talked to two of our missionaries while I was here for a little while this afternoon. And um, it's, it's interesting. Some of our missionaries have been on the field a very long time. And uh, there's a few of our missionaries that I know we've supported as long as I can remember at all. And they're coming near the end of uh, their time on the field or nearing retirement. Some of them are retiring and staying there. They said, this is home. And uh, they'll stay there. Some have had to come home for health issues or whatever it may be. And it's it's neat to see and to hear them say, we thank you for your church's faithful support that uh, throughout the years we could always count very assuredly on uh, receiving what you had committed. And for years and years and years, hundreds of thousands of millions of dollars throughout uh, the last uh, several decades have gone to seeing people saved around the world. 
and giving a sacrifice to do that. And I hope that you're excited. Uh, a couple like uh, the the Toothmans that was here back in uh, June, very young. I was looking at um, uh, the prayer card for Chris and Natalie from this morning, and I'm feeling very old. Um, I mean, I remember used to think, you know, young missionaries just married, they would come through. I'm like, yeah, they're my age. And then when I told them today that we'd been married 14 years and they looked at me like that was just eternity, um, I thought, my goodness, I'm old. Natalie was here until she was nine years old. We were talking a little bit about that. She grew up here in our church and her ministry. I remember working in Awanas even as a uh, I think a first-year college student, and I remember when they uh, moved away and, and they were serving here and now to see uh, fruit of that go around the world. And that's the way that God intended it. So we're thankful for that. Before I forget, my favorite or your favorite motion for any business meeting. Does anybody have a motion to close the business meeting this evening? And those of you who voted will announce those a little bit later. But I need a motion to close. And some of you have realized if I don't give a motion, then he won't keep talking. Um, <laughs> I will keep talking regardless if you make a motion. Brother Moore, and um, a second to that, and then we'll close. Anybody? Nobody? Brother Grant. Thank you. All right, and we will close. I was going to say, if not, we'll come back and vote again and again and again, and um, we will take the... uh, Example of our illustrious house. We'll vote 15 times if we have to, to do whatever we have to do tonight. All right, take if you would your Bible tonight. Just have it ready. And then if you would, uh, look at your notes this evening as well. We've been talking about church membership for the last few weeks. Hopefully you've realized by now, more so than just church polity, um, and organization as a church goes, though that is important. And uh, we spent a lot of time in the last uh, year and a half, two years, talking about that. We updated our bylaws that went from, oh, a six and a half page or so, front and back, half-folded pamphlet, uh, because at the time that that was written, that was probably all that was needed. And the world has changed in the last 50 Eight years that our church has been around, and so it expanded to uh, this small encyclopedia. It felt like putting it together, and uh, there's a lot of it that is uh, technicality. But with each of it, each thing that's in it, we try to put the, the Lord's word behind it and set it as a precedent. And where He did not give us command, we tried to follow biblical pattern. And so there's a number of things there. But we're not walking through that in these few weeks. Of course, you can do that anytime on your own. I think there's a few copies at the Welcome Center. And if you don't have one, we want you to be able to get that and follow along with it. There's our church's statement of faith is there as well. And uh, we're not walking through that these next few weeks either. We Hopefully, you will do that on your own. But we also walk through it each week as we open God's Word. And we follow it as well. And then our church covenant, uh, the things that we covenant ourselves to as uh, church members, and we will talk about that near the end of our time together in the next few weeks. Uh, but if you are visiting or you've been been coming for a while and you are interested in uh, joining, and a few have asked about the process of joining our church, it's a fairly simple 
process. And we ask that you meet with a pastor, myself, or Dr. Crane, or uh, one of the pastors here, uh, leaders here in the church, or one of our deacons. It could be a deacon and deacon's wife as well, and they've done that before as well. And they just want to hear your testimony of faith and uh, why it is or what it is that you want to come and join in to our church for what brought you our way, but really your testimony of faith. And then we ask that you look through these things, particularly the statement of faith. And we have about a page and a half church covenant. It just says, here's, here's what we desire as a church to be and to be toward each other and to do toward the Lord. And then we ask that you sign it again. That's not a, it's not a legal contract. It's not something, well, if I sign this, it makes me a Christian or it makes me even a better Christian. It's simply, here's what we're agreeing to do together. We're committing to each other and committing to the Lord. And you sign that, and then there's three ways that we ask people to enter into our church, and that would be by the actual act of baptism. If you're a Christian, but you have not been baptized, that's an outward display that we believe that God commands that shows what has happened inwardly. God has saved me, and I want that inwardly, and I want that to be displayed outwardly, and so you can join by actual act of baptism. You can join by a letter uh, from a church of uh, like faith that says you remember here and you're transferring your membership or you can join by uh, a statement of faith if that letter is not available that says you've been saved and baptized and you're joining yourself to our church and you can do that at any time and uh, we have a number of people that are coming in the next few weeks to join we're excited about that and so uh, if you would like to be a part of that as well we'd love to talk to you you can see myself or one of the officers or uh, call the office and we'd love to sit down and talk with you about that these last few weeks, we've been talking about what it means to be part of God's family, the church, not just the church as a whole around the world, and that is very important to see ourselves as part of God's body that is made up around the world. In fact, uh, when in, in Scripture you find certain places where people kind of viewed themselves even outside of that a little bit, and they saw themselves outside of God's Word and God's instruction, and there was swift and strong rebuke for, uh, for that attitude. And so we do see ourselves joined to Christians around the world. When we get to heaven, there are not going to be regions and zip codes and uh, different places and uh, groups and org- organizations and different sects and different places kind of lined up and organized as to here's where you fit in heaven. It will, it will be all of God's children all of God's family throughout all of history joined together as one to worship and serve Him together. But while we are here on earth, we are finite. While God is not, He is infinite. He is everywhere present at the same time, to the same capacity, in the same way. We are not. We are bound by things that God is not bound by. We have limits that God does not have. And one of those obvious limits is a place. We live in a certain place, and, and regardless of how uh, technology and transportation have expanded our ability to be global and worldwide individuals and people, we still are present in one place at one time. And the majority of human beings on this earth live in one place at one time. And we believe that God's Word has shown us a pattern for Christians that live in one place at the same time that God has called those Christians together to serve and worship Him together. 
face to face, group to group, body to body, serving the Lord together. And so the last few weeks we've talked about a few different principles behind that. We talked about what it means to belong to one another. What does it mean to love and to cherish that God has given us not just He's not just made me his child, but in making me his child, he's also made me a, a, a likewise a child with you, with brothers and sisters in Christ. So what does it mean to belong? Last week we talked about the importance of gathering and worshiping and grouping ourselves together consistently in that way and in what purpose and for uh, things like teaching and for admonishing, growing, encouraging one another, singing and worshiping and praying and why and what we put, the thought that we put into some of those things. We want to be conscious and sober-minded toward those things and serious about what God... We are worshiping the God of the universe and so we take caution and care in how we do that, that we do it in the way that he has instructed us to. And so tonight, if you would, uh, I want you to have your Bible ready. We're going to take a few minutes because if you've been around here very long, you know, I will say I'm going to give some time at the end and then do not. And so tonight I'm going to give time at the beginning. And here's what I would like for us to do. You see there that this week's idea is caring for and with this lumping it together, if you want to write another word beside it is the word serving, caring and serving one another. Of course, we should care for one another in an emotional sense in how we feel toward one another. When part of the body grieves, we should grieve. When part of the body is sad, we should be sad. When part of the body has joy, we should have joy. When there is triumph, we should rejoice in that triumph over sin or if God gives victory and there is growth, we should all bind together in that. You know, ever notice it's not like when you slam a hammer hard onto your thumb, it hurts and there is pain. And your head and your ear and your foot and your knee are not like too bad, so sad, we don't care. Your whole body is ticked off that that just happened. It's all grieving together in that pain. You can't just differentiate and say, well, my thumb is absolutely radiating with intense pain, but the rest of me is fine, so we're just going to act like none of that happened. God doesn't call His body to function that way either. When one of us bear burdens of grief or sadness or distress or struggle, we bear those things together. And so caring for one another as Christians also involves serving one another as Christians. It is not just that as a church we are called and we say, well, uh, so-and-so is having a bad time. I feel bad about that. No, we can feel bad about a lot of things in this world. Like I can turn on TV and see a puppy that has been lost and is at the local shelter. And, you know, they say, if I don't send $5, they're, they're going to do something to that puppy that's not a good thing. I can feel a certain way about that, but that doesn't really change anything. Or I can act a certain way about something, and that does change something. But as Christians, we're not called to just feel a certain way one toward another, but we serve and we actually care one toward another. And so while we may think that sometimes we fulfilled our duty as Christians and as church members just by having an emotive sense toward people, love toward others, God has called us to action. And we're going to see that this evening. So here's what I want to do. We're going to take oh, five or ten minutes or so. And I'd love for you to get in group. We can do it there as a couple, but I would love for 
even the couples that are there to slide over and sit with another couple or if there's somebody near you, a friend that you can sit with, groups of three or four would be great. It'll help you work through this a little bit quicker. But you notice each of these verses uh, that are listed, all of them are going to have something in it about the one another elements of the church. For instance, let's all look at John 13, 34 together. John 13, 34. John 13, 34. So if the Bible instructs us to care for one another, what does that look like? And we're going to see it in a number of verses tonight, and hopefully we'll walk through these things together as a group in just a moment. John 13, 34. Notice, a new commandment I give unto you that you love who? One another. As I have loved you, that you also love one another. So with John 13, 34, what is the element of the church that God has commanded us one toward another. What is it here? To what? Love one another. So you can jot that down. I'm a really easy teacher. I just gave you the first answer on the test. And hopefully, as you walk through, you'll be able to do this, these things together. So what I'd like to do is let's just take a few minutes as we start. Then we're going to come back and we're going to look at um, Galatians 6 for just a few moments together. But I'd love for you to slide over, sit with another couple, sit with another um, friend or you say well i don't know anybody on that side that's fine just go sit with them and you say well what if they think i'm weird and you can think they're weird too that's fine everybody can just think one another weird that's somewhere in these verses and uh, let's spend some time together this evening uh, kind of assign some verses to each other just kind of pick which verses you want and then give the answers you're allowed to cheat you can give the answers one to another in this uh, little study together tonight Give each other the answers, and then as you have time, you can talk a little bit about it as you go through. What does that mean to love one another? What does it mean to care for one another? So let's take uh, five, ten minutes or so. I'll kind of keep a gauge on where we are, and then we'll come back, and we'll look at these things in just a moment. All together. First of all, how many of you are goody-two-shoes? You finished the whole list. Anybody? A couple people. A few goody-two-shoes in the room. Uh, How many of you got more than half of it? All right, I think most everybody got at least more than half of it done. So let's take a look at it together. And I want you to think of this as we go through this. This is not just a, a fun exercise. It's not just uh, something that we look up a verse and we read it because so it'll be helpful for us in that way or another. I want, you to, I want you to really look at what you just studied. Every single one of these verses gives us instruction about how we live one toward another. Think about that for a moment. Because sometimes when we think about, I want you to just think and just be brutally honest with yourself. When you think about your church, and you think about, maybe even think about the individual people in your church, how bound to those people do you really feel? Uh, how attached to them do you really feel? And, and, and yes, there's always going to be an element that there's someone, and it should be, that there is a a group of people, even Jesus within his apostles had a smaller group that seemed to be with him at some of the more intense moments of his life. So it's not to say that we're to be equally related to everyone in the church, but we should be equally responsible to everyone in the church with the instruction that God has given us. I think there are levels or layers of relationships that God brings into our lives where there are there should be at least a handful of people from within your local church community 
that God has brought that you feel accountable to in some way, that you feel bound to in a very close way, um, that you would be willing to confess or speak about your own faults or the hardships, the doubts, the struggles, but also the triumphs of life. There are there should be a, at least a group from within this church that you feel that closely attached to. But what we just read is not just picking and choosing. It doesn't say do this to the ones that you feel real close to, or this is your instruction to those that you really like, or this is the instructions to those you get along with and you share a common bond with in your church. This is the instruction that God gives us all one toward another. And so I want you to just be brutally honest. When you think about, in your own mind, when you think about your church and the people that are in it, how responsible to them do you feel? Um, how connected do you feel? What do you feel that you're supposed to be doing with them or to them or involved with them? And how do you carry that out? And how much do you really think? We think we're supposed to come together. There's, we should at least shake hands when we walk in the door. We should smile. Maybe a small conversation, sharing of a prayer request at times. And then I go home and you go home and we come back. We do all that again next Sunday. The scripture gives us far more detailed instructions, doesn't it? Notice, look at, look at what it just gave to us. I'm gonna, I'll holler a few of them out, and if you have them in your, the real goody two-shoes, you can holler out the answer as we go through. I'm just kidding. I don't think bad about you if you answer. In fact, that would be very good. We did the first one together, John 13, 34. We're to love one another. Uh, Romans 12, 5 says that though there's a lot of us, that individually we're members one of another. We're joined together. Romans 12, 10 had two of them. Somebody holler out one of them. What does it say? Preferring one another, to love one another with brotherly affection, to outdo one another, to prefer one another in honor, preferring each other. And they're two, uh, meaning to outdo each other in the respect and honor and love that you have toward one another. Romans fifteen fourteen. what does that one say? What was it? Admonish, which means to instruct one another. Help each other. There's times where God speaks to me through His Word and He's given me instruction. This is a big book, is it not, the Bible? And, and I don't know about you, I didn't read the entire thing last week. Maybe some of us read through faster than others. Maybe some of us take our time when we're studying a particular section. I know that some of you will find a, a chapter or a section of Scripture and you'll go over it for a couple months at a time. We study, we read in different ways. God gives each of us different instruction. And He doesn't mean that for chaos, but He means that to edify and teach and to learn one from another. And we're all called to do that. Romans 15 isn't written to pastors or leaders. It's written to the church. 1 Corinthians 12 says, uh, verse 25, have the same care one for another. Or, uh, In fact, I'm going to read that to you. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 25 there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care one for another. In other words, it means we don't treat one higher than the other. If one is suffering, the rest do not abandon. If one is struggling, the rest do not walk away. But we treat all together one another. Uh, look at um, Galatians. You don't have to turn there, but what is Galatians 5.13? What does that one say to do to one another? To serve one another. Galatians 6.2, we'll read that in a moment. What does it say? 
bear one another's burdens. Ephesians 4.2 similarly says what? Ooh. There you go, alright? Uh, Ephesians 4, verse 32. Forgiving one another. Be kind to one another. Forgiving one another. Ephesians 5.21. Submitting one uh, to one another. Uh, in the fear of God, it says. That in the way that we submit to God, we submit to the greater body, one to another. In other words, we don't say, well, I'm ticked off at so-and-so, or I don't like them, or we had a disagreement, and so now I'm out. I'm disjoining myself from them. There are moments, there are things that Christians are called when there are disagreements with what God has taught us clearly in doctrine in His Word, in which there will be sometimes in which there is a separation of relationship. But what this verse is really deeply speaking to in talking about submitting one to another, meaning my preference is not over the rest. My desire is not greater than all others. I submit to what we are all doing for Christ. Philippians 2, in humility, it says to count others, talking about lifting up others more than ourselves. Ooh, Colossians 3 9. What does that say? What is it? Don't lie to one another. Novel thought that the body should not lie to itself. Ephesians 5, uh, excuse me, um, 1 Thessalonians 4 18. What does it say to do? To comfort, encourage one another. There's a lot here, isn't it? Always, uh, 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 15. What's it say? To do good. Do good to one another. Simple thought. Uh, Hebrews 10.24 talks about provoke one another to love and to good works, meaning to stir each other up, prod along in a good way. Ooh, James 4.11 is good. What does that one say? Don't speak evil about each other. Um, James 5.9, just a chapter over. What does it say? Don't grumble, don't murmur against one another. James 5.16, confessing our sins one to another. Now, in the, I like how it teaches us that. Confess your sins one to another. And then what's the next phrase? Pray for one another. Okay? So God's instruction to each other as Christians is not, oh, admit all your wrongs to someone else so that they can feel better about themselves. And make someone else tell you they're wrong so you feel better about yourself. It doesn't say confess each other's sins one to another so you'll be defeated and then walk in sin together. Confess sins to each other and then pray for one another. Not confess sins and then talk about one another. Confess sins and earnestly pray for one another. And then anybody remember the last part of that phrase or that verse? And what, what does God do when His body does that? What is, anybody remember? It says that you may be healed. <laughs> that you may be made whole. What, what a great picture of God's grace. We, there are certain things that you can do for your own body if you're injured, you're hurt, you're sick, to try to heal and take care of one another. And God says, when your body is sick, the body of Christ, and there's sin, there is an element that must be confessed one to another. It doesn't mean we sit down and we relish in the disturbing details of every aspect of our sin in our lives. But we are willing to confess to one another 
Because I know that I am no greater than you. And I know that in Christ's eyes, I am seen as equally sinful and that God's grace is equally abounding in our lives. And I confess that one to another. Both of us come together praying for one another so that there's healing in God's body. Then notice 1 Peter 4.9, show giving hospitality or uh, caring for one another. And then interestingly enough, says without grumbling, disputing, murmuring. Uh, with humility, 1 Peter 5.5, 5, humility one toward another. 1 John 4.7 tells us to love one another because love is of God. Everyone who's been born of God knows and uh, knows God or through that God is love. First John four twelve, it says that if we love one another, then He is in us and dwells within us as God's body. A church that lives this way and loves one another in the ways that God has instructed, it says that God dwells in and among them. Sometimes we wonder, as a church, why isn't God working in this way, or why isn't He doing some? great thing or a miraculous thing or working in some visible evident way i submit that sometimes it's because we are not doing what god has clearly instructed us to do to one another and god simply is not working amongst us or in us individually sometimes because we are not functioning with one another the way that he has clearly instructed us to do so god in his word he never doesn't ever say individually you take care of yourself and then you bring all that to the church. No, we come the same way that we come to Him as we are and He fixes and heals us. We also come into the church as we are and that one another as we obey His instruction heal and we see that done in our lives. For the last couple months, I want you to look at Galatians 6 and you have the notes tonight. You're going to Hopefully do most of those kind of on your own this evening. But a just short exhortation from this particular passage, Galatians 6. So you see all those instructions tonight. You read them. And just look back through that list at some point in the next few days. Don't just write them down. Well, that was a fun exercise. Now we don't have to do that again for another year or whatever it may be. No, this is what God has instructed us. Sit down with your spouse and... Talk through these things or a friend and what am I what which of these am I not doing? Which of these must I do in a better way? Which of these do I need to be focused on in the upcoming year in my responsibility toward other Christians within the church? There's a, that's a big list. If I would tell you if we would focus for twelve months on being this list of things to one another, I truly believe that God would dramatically work in our lives as individuals and as a church. I, I, I just, I don't see how a group of people, now this is not my list, it's not, oh, if they'll do what James put together on this list. This is God's instruction for us. I cannot see how a group of Christians would be obeying and adamantly and passionately doing these things one toward another that God would not mightily reward the people that were submitting to His Word. Notice, if you would, Galatians chapter 6, and we'll be finishing. You have the, the main notes there. There are things that God has asked us to do to care for one another as a church. Galatians 6, 1 through 10, sort of a primer, if you would, on church care. How do we serve one another? 
And there are little ways, there's individual ways, there are ways, significant ways, ways that we consistently think of, but there's a broader theme, I think. Interestingly enough, Galatians 5, and of course our chapter and verse numbers are not inspired, they're given to us to help by organization, and the paragraph before Galatians 6 is the fruit of the Spirit, isn't it? The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, self-control. In other words, against these there's no law. All those that are in Christ, this is what we are supposed to be, bearing these fruit. So what does that look like in a church? If a church has the fruit of God's Holy Spirit in their life, God's Spirit is changing someone, making them more like Him. These are the things that they're going to have individually. And I don't think it's any accident that Paul then moves into church care in the next paragraph. So here's what he's saying. A Christian that has been changed by God's Spirit has joy, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance. Individually, that's what they have. But then corporately, what does that look like as a church? Verse number 1 of chapter 6. Oh, and he starts with a great one right away. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault... You, which are spiritual, restore such an one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself. Think about your own life. Lest thou also be tempted. There's this gentle restoration. A church that has the fruit of the Spirit will be consistently and gently in meekness restoring one another in relationship and restoring one another to the Lord. Just like in your own body. How, how many times, and especially as far as I hear, the older you get, how, when's the last day you had a day where absolutely everything, hair to toenail, felt great? Like, rare, right? It's also, now sometimes we'd get up and we would say the opposite, but for how many days do you get up from, from hair to toe, everything, absolutely every element of you feels awful? And some of you may say, well, actually. But if we're being really honest... For the most part, most days are not head-to-toe horrific, but also most days are not head-to-toe bliss either. It just doesn't work that way. And within God's congregation and God's people, there's rarely a time where every element and member of the body is functioning great and has no sickness. And there's there's also not a time where there's none of that. So we don't have perfection, but we also hopefully don't have a time where we're all consumed with sickness. That's part of the healthy body of Christ, is that it ministers to itself and that it restores. Notice the goal right away of someone that's overtaken in a fault. The goal is not publicity. The goal is not acknowledgement. The goal is not declaring it. Though sometimes, Matthew gives us very clear instruction that sometimes there are moments where that has to happen in church discipline. You go to someone, they won't repent. They go in the, in the witness of two or three and they won't repent. You take it to the church and then they won't repent. And then there's, yes, there's an escalating element to that. But the first and foremost goal is restoration. is to see God's body restored and fixed. And it is to be done in meekness. The word restore there in Galatians 6.1 is the same word that they used a lot in the Greek when they meant to set a bone that was out of joint, which means it's painful at times. But it also is vital to the functioning of what's happening in a church. We'll come back to this in the next couple of weeks. But notice a second. We, there's humble burden bearing. Verse number 2. Bear ye one another's burdens 
and so fulfill the law of Christ. What is the law of Christ that he's referring to? The early church would have known very clearly. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. The second likened to it, love your neighbor as yourself. So he says to accomplish that and fulfill God's law, you bear one another's burdens. For if a man think himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. There's twofold with that. I think bury one another's burdens, that's fairly clear. We're to bear and bring these things together. But notice it says, if a man thinks himself something that he is not, he deceives himself. And there's a twofold lesson in this. There are people and there's times in our, in our lives we feel like I cannot be bothered by someone else's burdens because I have my own or because I'm busy or because life is so great right now that if I bear someone's burdens, it's going to take me back to where life's a drudge and I really don't want that. And the Bible very clearly is saying here, you think of yourself something that you are not. But the opposite is also true because there are moments in our lives where I think no one else can bear my burden. I've been there. I don't think anybody else can handle this. I don't think anybody else can help me. I don't think anybody else can minister to me. No one else has the answer. No one else has what I need. This verse says, you don't understand what you really are. That we are all equal before Christ and we all have a need to bear others' burdens and we all have a need to have our burdens borne. Notice verse 6. Let him that is taught... Or excuse me, verse number 4. But let every man prove his own work, and then shall he have rejoicing in himself alone, and not in another, for every man shall bear his own burden. Now Paul's not contradicting himself here, although you read initially, he just told us to bear one another's burdens, and then he said to mind our own business and bear our own burden. No, that's not what he's teaching. Notice again in verse number 4. Let every man prove his own work. Meaning, yes, you focus on your own life. You focus on the work that God has given you. And there's this element that he's sort of saying that we focus on the responsibility that God has given us. We are not going to be called into account for other people's lives when we stand before the Lord. And so he's saying, so don't live out what others are doing. For example, you know, I, I see someone here, I see them and they're, they're hurting and they have a burden, and there's something wrong. And then I see someone else come and help them. Now, in certain elements, sure, that's great, and that's fine. But he's saying, that does not excuse my responsibility or my account to need to help share the burden of God's people and God's church. So he says, just because you're part of a church that's helping and bearing others' burdens, if you are not doing that, then you are not part of it. You are responsible for what God has given you to do. You can't stand in the day of judgment before the Lord and say, Lord, look at all the things that my church has done. Look at all the things that people that were in my church have done for one another. He says, you bear this. And then notice in verse 5, it says, for every man shall bear his own burden. I like that Paul puts this responsibility, but it's something interesting there that you really can't see when you just read it in English. He uses two different words for the word burden. Back in verse number Two, when he says, bear you one another's burdens, the word that he uses there for burden means like a very heavy, big burden, some loathsome object. It's weighted down. It is massive. The word that he uses for burden in verse number five, it's a word they would have used for like a sack or like a backpack. 
And so what Paul is teaching is that there are things in our life that I'm responsible for. There are things that I can bear. There are things that are up to me. Uh, spending my money wisely, that's a burden that ultimately I should be able to bear. Uh, keeping up with things to a certain extent if God has given me the physical ability to. Studying God's Word for myself, discipling and leading my family in a certain way. Those are burdens, yes, but there are responsibilities that God has given. But there are times and elements and things in people's lives that are so crushing that God says it is obvious they need help. And the Bible's giving us instruction to sense the difference between those things. That every member should have their backpack on. This is the responsibility that God has given me, and I'm going to carry it because God has given me strength. But then there are also times where it's not a backpack, but it's a boulder. And in those moments, God's people bear one another's burdens. We'll finish with the last few verses. Notice verse 6. Let him that is taught in the word communicate unto him that teacheth in all things. The word communicate there means share. We don't have time tonight. I can do a word study on it. Most places in the New Testament, it means it's translated to minister to one another, to share with one another. So it says, if you receive something, the teaching, then you should share with those that teach you. And it could be physical. It could be mental, spiritual, emotional. It means no one's supposed to just sit and take in like a sponge and never be given back out to others. Verse 7, be not deceived, God is not mocked. This is a call to personal holiness within the church. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. And he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. Rather than try to say something novel or teach, I came across a couple of quotes this week. I'm going to read them to you because I think they're just profound. And then we'll move to the last. John Stott said in his commentary on Galatians, If you sow a thought, you'll reap an action. You sow an action, you'll reap a habit. Start sowing habits, you'll reap character. And when you sow character, you reap destiny. In other words, you have an end. It says, sometimes we sow to the flesh every day and we wonder why we're not reaping holiness, victory, and blessing. Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote in a book about church community. About, it's called Life Together. He has two chapters. He has one called uh, A Day Alone and A Day Together, talking about Christians being on their own and then Christians being together as community. Let him who cannot be alone beware of community. Meaning if you always have to be with someone else and you cannot live a spiritual life in a moment of, uh, of being by yourself, then the church is not going to help you become what you need to become. But also, let him who is not in the community beware of being alone. <laughs> you think you can stand on your own and I don't need the church. And that's not the case either. It says there's a need for holy habits like silence, prayer, and careful Bible study that first happen alone and then bless others. And I like this quote. It says, The day together, like today, will be completely unfruitful without the day alone, both for the fellowship and for the individual. Meaning, if I don't live the life that I should as a Christian individually, then my church will not be what it should be. If I am not seeking and finding and following after God, my church is not going to fix me. That's not what God has called the church to do. He has called us to heal one another. And I do that by self, concentrating on self, my relationship with the Lord, and then bringing that to the whole.
Then finally, notice the last verses 9 and 10. Let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are the household of faith. I am so glad Paul puts the beginning of verse 9 there in this speaking about the church caring for one another. He says, don't be weary in all these things that you're doing. In other words, when you've done what God instructs. So if you were to go back and look at the list of blanks, do all these things to one another. And then there's a moment where it doesn't feel like that's working. <laughs> or you do all these things and, and some of the one another's that you do these for or with or toward or to, they don't seem to respond to it. In fact, they, maybe they reject it or they seem cold to it or they run away from it or they harm you in response to it. They, they abuse your trust or you misplace the, the things that you've committed to them and there's hurt in it. Paul says, what about that? When that happens in a church, don't be weary in well-doing, he says. When you've done all that God instructs you to do, keep doing it. Do it again. Isn't that the case in the church? As we suffer with one another and rejoice with one another, we are called that in due season we reap, that there is reaping and there is profit and there is fruit if we just press forward. In the last verse, as you therefore have opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them that are the household of faith. He just simplifies and he comes to this close. He says, when you've done all this and you're exasperated and you're living the body, now do what's good. You know, there's times in our life where you feel sick, you feel broken, you feel pain in your body. And you get up and you're like, I just don't know. Some of you are facing that now. Some of you have faced it in the last year. Doctor's not telling me exactly what I want to hear. They can't find anything wrong, but they also can't find everything right. They, I know I'm having this issue. And that. Well, what do you do? You know what the doctor's never going to be like? You know what? Let's try for the next week. Don't eat anything. Starve yourself. Like, they never do that. Like They don't say, when you get up tomorrow, I want you to have no water for at least a day. Let's see if that makes you feel any better. He never does that either. They don't say, you know what, you have, you've been trying to eat healthy for the last month and a half, you're still having pain, you're still having issues. Tomorrow, five Big Macs, three Twinkies, and four milkshakes. Maybe you'll feel better by the end of the day. No, never does that. When there's pain and struggle, what does the doctor encourage you to do? Hey, I can't explain all this right now, but you still got to drink some water. <laughs> you still got to eat. You still have to be fed. You still have to have nutrition. You still have to exercise. You still have to do these things. You still have to take your medicine, whatever it may be. And the same is true in the church. There's moments of pain and difficulty. But God's encouragement is do good. Follow these instructions and fruit will come. And we thank Him for that. And so we care for one another. We serve one another in these ways. I hope you'll take that, look at the action items at the end and then go back through that list this week. And trust the Lord that if we obey Him, serve Him, He'll give us all that we need as a church. Lord, we thank You for Your Word tonight. It's a good Word. Some of us have looked at our own lives individually and we have felt frustrated. Help us not to abandon the pattern that You have given to us. Help us not to think, well, I need a different place or a different body or a different group or different people or... I need something other than your word or something other than prayer, something other than relationship. Help us to know that you have promised to reward longevity, 
faithful obedience in the same direction. Small obedience from day to day. And we ask that you help us to do that. Help us to care for one another. Some of us have boulders at the moment. And so we can help others, be helped by others. Some of us just have the backpack. We just have the normal cares of life and responsibility. Help us to come alongside those who are weak and struggling and to lift them up, to care for one another and rejoice that you have given to us a beautiful church. In Jesus' name, amen. You are dismissed.